Welcome to Kite Line, a weekly radio program from WFHB that focuses on issues in the prison system and beyond. Behind the prison walls, a message is called a kite. Whispered words, a note passed hand to hand, a request submitted to the guards for medical care. Illicit or not, sending a kite means trusting that other people will bear it farther along until it reaches its destination. Here on Kite Line, we hope to share these words across the prison walls. Before starting with this week's theme, we wanted to share some prison-related news and announcements. On May 20th, 2021, the evidence opened in a case against the State Prison and California Department of Corrections and Rehabilitation. Six incarcerated folks, a medical doctor, and other workers at San Quentin State Prison testified at the hearing. The case is about the prison's endangerment of prisoners and negligence during the COVID-19 pandemic. Judge Jeffrey Howard presided over the first hearing in San Marin County Superior Court and will reconvene further to hear more testimonies. The testimonies describe the mishandled transfer of infected people from the California Institute for Men to San Quentin that resulted in an outbreak, the prison's negligence that led to the spread of COVID throughout the facility, the squalor prisoners were forced to live in, the poor working conditions, and mental health deteriorations of incarcerated people. The first of four witnesses was John Maddox. He was transferred from California Institute for Men and is currently incarcerated in San Quentin. Before his transfer, he knew people that were infected with the virus. On May 19th to 23rd, while at California Institute, he was with a friend who had a fever and even helped this friend get medical aid sent to his cell. A week after his friend with the fever left, Maddox himself began to feel sick and told the guards and medical staff about his symptoms. They ignored him. The guards scoffed at him and stated, quote, he's lying. He's trying to avoid transfer. He can tell someone at San Quentin, end quote. Before the transfer, he and 23 others were put in a, quote, small holding tank with no ventilation. We were cramped in there like sardines. There was no movement. It was hot and we were in there for three to five hours before transfer. People would take their masks off from irritation, end quote. Some of the transfers were coughing and lying on the floor feeling sick. After being exposed to unsafe conditions for a few hours, Maddox and the other 23 transfers were loaded onto buses for the 11th hour ride to San Quentin. He testified, quote, They shackled us up, gave us a cloth mask, and put us in a bus. Two people per four-foot bench and eight rows of people with no social distance. We were packed in with no ventilation, end quote. At San Quentin, Maddox was uncuffed and put in a cell with three to four other people. Two days after that, he was finally tested for COVID. He was given his results four or five days after taking the test. He was positive. Dr. John Grant is a medical doctor who has worked at San Quentin for over 15 years. Medical staff were given a two-day notice that the CDCR was transferring people from the California Institute to San Quentin. He told the prison it was a bad idea to transfer people on such short notice in the middle of a pandemic. His concerns were ignored. Little time to prepare. Some transfers were not tested before their departure. Dr. Grant testified that, quote, the transfer had put all his patients in San Quentin in danger, end quote. Larry Williams is a building porter at San Quentin Prison, tasked with handing out food to cells, handling food trays, and cleaning. Williams testified that, quote, At first they told us masks were not needed, despite us seeing staff walking around with masks. It wasn't until we complained that they gave us cloth masks at the end of April and finally N95 masks in July, end quote. His first COVID training was rushed, only 35 minutes long. He said that in June 2020, quote, we tried to do the best we could with the old cleaning supplies we had to clean the cells. Some people's cells were clean, and some people's cells were not, end quote. 
Williams also mentioned that on June 10th, 2020, Williams was approached by an officer and asked if he would like to help carry some boxes from the lieutenant's office. Once he started handling the boxes, he noticed that they belonged to some CIM transferred. Feeling as though he was taken advantage of, Williams immediately thought, quote, well, then you are possibly infecting us with COVID, end quote. Later, Williams, quote, skin felt flushed, I felt warm, and I got on the phone immediately to tell my wife I might be infected with COVID, end quote. The following day, he was tested for COVID, and he also worked passing out food to approximately 300 incarcerated people. In July, weeks after transfers that led to the COVID outbreak, Williams and other porters received the full healthcare facility maintenance training. And then, even with the training, Williams said they could not fully implement it because they never received the proper cleaning equipment as promised. The final witness of the day was Juan Haynes, currently incarcerated at San Quentin and a senior editor for San Quentin News. As a journalist, his goal is to, quote, give the outside world an inside look at what and who are the people incarcerated in San Quentin State Prison, end quote. Haynes was tested for COVID on June 23, 2020, and was not given his results for four days until June 27th. When he tested positive, he was moved to another facility in the prison where, quote, the building is unventilated with 414 cells about 18 inches apart, and there are two people assigned to each cell. At no time has North Lock been under 135% of design capacity. The prosecutor representing the prison and CDCR asked whether San Quentin has improved conditions since the outbreak. Haynes answered, quote, I don't understand what you mean by improve, because from my perspective, I'm drowning, and you let me up two feet, and I'm still drowning because we're overcrowded in the prison, end quote. This week, we hear from Kobe Blewett, the daughter of Leon Benson, long-term Indiana prisoner. She tells us about Leon, their relationship, and her current efforts to free him. We've covered Leon's situation on KiteLine before, a case of poor eyewitness testimony and a man convicted of a murder he adamantly says he did not commit. Kobe tells us about how Leon has been spending his 23 years inside, what it was like to grow up with a parent in prison, and she closes with some advice to people who have a loved one inside. Here she is. My name is Kobe Blewett. Um, I have a background in social work. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, and currently what I do is I'm a holistic health enthusiast um, and also microblade um, for women and men within the beauty industry. Leon Benson, um, Leon has been incarcerated for murder. He did not commit for um, going on 23 years now. Um, and he has been in the state of Indiana serving his time. So just a little bit about his case is so basically all the evidence that they so-called had convicted him of being responsible for was based off of misidentifications of witnesses. To keep things very simple, guys, and I'm also going to uh, give you some actual tangible information to take away where you guys can look it up and kind of, you know, dive into it yourselves to, you know, give more clarity on what I'm speaking of today. But within this time frame, so yeah, so my pops was literally convicted based off of witnesses and misidentification of what these witnesses claim that they seen because the story switched up multiple times between each of the witnesses. And basically like there's no DNA evidence, literally the description that the initial 
eyewitness um, had identified was, I believe she was a mail carrier. And she had said that she was there on this on the scene and seen it happen, but she actually described a dark-skinned male who was on the scene in his early, mid-20s, skinny built and possibly no facial hair. My pops, I don't know if you guys have seen him, but he's nowhere near darker complexion. He's a lighter complexion, very light complexion. She also described what he had on that day. When my pops was incarcerated, he didn't even have on the clothes that match the um, actual description of the lady that actually is the reason her and another couple um, eyewitnesses is basically those testimonies are the reasons why he was incarcerated. But just to kind of even go a little further on that, there was a gentleman who was also gave a tip to the officers who were on the scene. And he was already on parole. He was known for, you know, just using drugs in this area. And I believe there was a conflict between him and my pops, maybe another time. Um, But nonetheless, they used him and actually given him some kind of break within his sentencing for saying that he actually seen my pops on the like crime scene and actually did it, which there's evidence that that goes against everything that basically what the witnesses actually stated at first and how they changed our story throughout time due to them wanting to convict my pops. And I don't know if you guys know, like my pops has music about one of his songs is called Innocent. And he talks about, you know, yes, he sold, you know, drugs when he was younger. You know what I'm saying? Yes, he's used to gamble, you know what I'm saying, do these things. But as far as to accuse him of murder, that he did not do and he's literally in prison for that for 23 years now hasn't been able to be with his children um, at all my my brother and I you know um, literally having to pay for something that he did not do and there's also people that he's been bringing up who were eyewitnesses as well that they wouldn't even let him bring up in the court to actually support and say they were with him on that night just literally like it's really crazy how when you already have a like a record, and when I mean by a record, you already have some kind of criminal history attached to you, and especially during those times, um, where just racial discrimination was not uncommon to be a part of factors leading into the criminal justice system and how they handle situations. I feel that that was a big major component of them tying this murder, um, and also some other things as well. But that's all that I will pretty much touch on at the moment. So it's, it's really crazy, y'all. So like my pops, um, so I'm his daughter, but I like to think like I'm not his biological daughter. And what I say is literally the reason why I'm here today is because of Leon Benson. Um, Leon Benson was dating my mom at the time. My mom was actually pregnant with me um, at the time. At the time, my father and my mom, they weren't together. Basically, my mom was going to go ahead and, you know, abort me. Um, But Leon Benson stepped in and he said that I will raise Kobe, you know, I will be her father. So a little bit about Leon, he is from Flint, Michigan. And his, you know, full official name is Leon Benson. And basically, he moved down here in about 1995 to Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, And he literally came down here for a job to work with his uncle and doing some kind of painting and home renovations um, and basically just to find other ways to make income. And so literally he had got incarcerated 
1998, literally just being in Indiana for literally just a couple of years. And so nonetheless, so his relationship to me is everything because this is literally the reason why I'm here. Um, if my mom would have had it, my dad, my biological dad would have had it, I wouldn't be here. And so literally he taught me how to write left-handed, a part of me learning how to walk. And I'm 25. So he um, had got incarcerated in 98 and I was born in 96 and my brother was born in 97. So make a long story short, like I, you know, I was <laughs> kind of like his first experience of like raising a child, even before my brother came, who is his biological son, my pops literally stepped in when I didn't have a father and literally throughout his whole entire year, y'all, he's never missed a birthday. He's never missed a holiday. Even certain things that he don't even, within his culture, within his beliefs, he literally every Christmas, every Thanksgiving, even just the small little things of just like when it's halfway to my birthday, he always you know, let me know how I was a queen, how I was a black queen, how, you know, I need to tap into my power. You know, um, I remember growing up and really not knowing like who I looked like, where I came from, really not knowing like who I was. And I went through a lot of just teenage, like emotional issues due to me not having my own father, but then not even having a father that wanted me to be here and that he was gone. So Really, I would say like my pops is everything to me in my existence, but everything to me and who I'm becoming now. One thing that he has really taught me is just how to have emotional intelligence as a as a woman, telling me that this is my world and not create my own reality. You know, really teaching me about spirituality, really teaching me how to respect myself and having morals and, you know, how to treat people how you want to be treated and also celebrating yourself, you know, educating yourself. That's a little bit about me, but with my brother, Leon, Leon is 24 years old and he is currently incarcerated. And Leon definitely went through a whole different experience than myself. Um, and what I would say, you know, Leon never got to really be with his dad, like after he was one, I believe, like that was it. And so, you know, but my pops, he's always kept up with us. I mean, more active than men who are actually able to be in person with their children. He was never a part-time father these whole 23 years. And it's been times when we ain't been consistent, right? You know, it's been times where, you know, we haven't been consistently writing him back. You know, he was always there. Um, also um, helping us to get into the entrepreneurial space, you know, um, using him and his platform. So my pops has wrote many books. Um, he's an artist. He's a philosopher. He also is a writer and does music on just different topics on, I mean, he loves Shakespeare. He has organized different theater um, groups within being locked up. I mean, he's done so much within just the healing aspect of healing from traumas. And like, he's really has taken his experience being incarcerated and literally turned pain into power, pain into profit and helping us take what we've been through and literally turn into a passion and turn into creating our generational wealth that we want to create. So I would say like my pops, like literally while he was in there, you know, he did about 10 years in solitary confinement. And I don't know if you know what solitary confinement looks like, but it's like about the size of a bathroom. And literally while he was in there, like, you know, he could have killed himself. He could have did anything. And I don't know for me, you know, I have experienced different like suicidal ideations 
And my pops has always been strong for me in his situation where I don't know where he pulled his strength from. He's always been consistent, you know, um, and he's always been loving and letting us know, you know, I'm saying this is your world. Stand 10 toes, you know, be, you know, he's highly respected and, and, and never been, never been a sucker. I mean, to be all the way honest and such a backbone that I never got to experience. And even when I met my, met my biological father when I was 16, you know, he wrote my father and let him know like, Hey, you know, I respect you as being, you know, Kobe's biological father, you know, um, I love her as well. And I love for us to work together so we can be the man that she needs to be. You know, my pops has been more manly than any man I've ever had in my life behind the gates. You know what I'm saying? From him just sending us books. My, my pops just sent us books that literally will never, never read. It was just so different than what we were used to within what he's been able to cultivate within his knowledge. Like he's taken all this time and read so many different books, you know, um, really tapped in and really cultivated a new Leon Benson. My relationship with him currently is, you know, I'm working with him to start a movement um, that we will talk about. And that's truth never dies. It's only rediscovered, you know, and really standing on your truth, really standing on anything that you believe in and standing on what is a truth that has been suppressed by your family, friends, or this society or the world around us. And my pops has really always told us to really just stand 10 toes, you know, be solid in your word, be a woman of your word, be a man of your word, you know, don't be of the world, you know, do what you got to do to become better and, you know, share that light and joy with others as well. There is a website that you guys can check out with all of his creative work, but he actually is working with a gentleman in New York. His name is Fury, and basically Fury has a record label for people who are incarcerated and um, people who have like amazing art that, that needs to be shared. That's what he does now, and he works hand-in-hand -hand with him, and he writes poetry for different events that Fury has. Also, he's done work with, you know, IUPUI, which is a college here, just talking about incarceration and what does that look like on the loved ones that are incarcerated and how do you work with cultivating some kind of relationship with the outer world within the inner world. He has led uh, theater-led groups on where he will write the script and talk about different scenarios that men face within their healing journey from whatever they've done, you know, in their past that they need to heal from, you know, so they can be free within an emotional and a spiritual space, like taking what he's learned within Shakespeare and like cultivate that and make it more modern to, you know, people who are incarcerated and taking the love for theater and reenacting um, and role-playing different scenarios that men have gone through in their past, men are going through currently, and just different things of that nature. He has different books just about his different philosophies as far as just what does it look like to, you know, be innocent, born guilty? You know, what does it look like being someone who is a caged bird and, 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 and really still fighting the struggle, you know, um, what does it look like in a world where we can free ourselves? And also with just his music, he's just redone a lot of like um, a different artists who we know, like Drake, you know, redone a couple of his songs, you know, and made them more into his space of where he stands within his truth. Actually, a website that you guys can check out is freelyonbenson.org.
and you can check out that website and he has literally just short clips of different pieces that has been put together by people he has worked with on the outside and that has utilized his art in different spaces. And they have been able to um, create these short clips and for people to actually see and enjoy and also just get a feel for Leon Benson as a person, as a father, you know, as, um, as an uncle, as a brother and all those different things. This is our world, you know, we, we all, co-create together, whether you want to co-create with the person that you walk by in a grocery store by, or you want to co-create that the person that you're beeping at while you're driving on the highway, or whether you want to co-create with your neighbor. You know what I'm saying? It, it doesn't matter. We all have to be in this world and we all are a part of what we see day to day. And it's a lot of things that are going unsaid. It's a lot of power in coming together versus being separated. It's a lot of power integration than separation and discrimination. You know, it's, it's a lot of power in us. Maybe if we can directly relate to situations that we still say something because being silent still means that you're um, attributing to the foolishness. You know, being silent means you're, you're being, you're, you're being complacent. You're being, you know, you're obeying pretty much what's going around you. You're, you're not saying anything. And so, you know, something that my pops has told me and, and just something I've learned within my own experience, even without him, like you got to stand for something or fall for anything. And so, yes, this is my pops and I'm his daughter and I'm advocating for him. But if it was somebody else's father, you know what I'm saying? Imagine your father being gone for about 23 years. Imagine your brother, you know, being gone, especially for something he did not do. And of course, he's done some things. We all have a past and we all have things that we're not very proud of within this world. But a lot of things contribute to the world that we live in and how things can happen based off of being at the wrong place at the wrong time. So with that being said, we just kind of, we got to be involved in one another's lives. We can't just look at somebody on TV and be like, you know, oh, um, I'm, I'm sad for them. And that goes on for just incarceration it's just so many different issues that I can touch on other than incarceration. So it's just time for us not to be quiet about things that are going around us. We need to speak up or your silence will let you know where you stand because you want somebody to speak up for you, you know? And so just always put yourself in people's shoes um, and always think, what if that was me? What if, what if that was my, my uncle, like I said, my brother, my dad, your mom, you know, there's a lot of women who's incarcerated, you know what I'm saying? Um, and it's, it's a lot of families that are being torn apart due to, you know, the mishandling of the justice system. So you may can't relate on this for real. And you, you may agree with how the justice system is created as far as when it comes to innocence, as far as when it comes to, you know, rehabilitation versus punishment, you know, as far as when it comes to healing the nation um, and actually putting in the resources in place to heal people. You know, we, we need to think more like we need to be involved in those in creating a world that we want to see. I am actually organizing um, an event that will be in Indianapolis, Indiana, July 25th. That is a Sunday at 1.40 p.m. at Tarkenton Park. And we will basically be speaking on the, on the behalf of Leon Benson. We will have guest speakers. There will be food. There will be amazing energy. There will be IDOC Watch, which is an amazing organization doing their thing within the mass release campaign. 
so that's currently what we are organizing at the moment. So like I said, that's July 25th. And we will, like I said, speak on his behalf and have speakers there as well that are part of the Mass Elite campaign and have food and also um, rally um, around um, a small portion of Indianapolis, Indiana. Um, another way that you can support is Facebook. He has a page that we are also going to be organizing a um, just a T-shirt campaign, just different ways that we can create some money to go towards this movement. Um, and basically the event on the 25th of July is called TND, which is Truth Never Dies, It's Only Rediscovered. And that's actually one of my pop songs. Another way you guys can support is, you know, get on iTunes, you know, maybe um, purchase one of his songs and listen to what he has to say. Half of the proceeds that we receive from this campaign to Green Star Families, which is an initiative that um, IDLC Watch is connected to. And they basically um, just... A small part they they work to support inmates from the inside and outside and basically families who are who do have um, parents who are inside and make sure that they're able to you know communicate with them are they able to write them do they have enough money to even put on their books to even get in communication with them so it's an amazing 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 initiative so half of the proceeds will be going to Green Stars families. You know, it was times that I fell off of communication with my pops because, you know, of course there's life within there, but there's life that we go through um, being on the outside. And, you know, there was times I just kind of fell off on the communication and, you know, I basically did not support my pops as hard as he did with me growing up as far as sustaining communication. So what I would say is just be very transparent with your loved ones. Be very transparent and let them know when you have life going on, you know, and um, they they will still love you and, and, and they will still be so happy to hear from you because life goes on outside, you know, but what I would do is I encourage you, I encourage you to, you know, don't get down yourself when you're not able to do all that you can. Maybe you don't have enough money to put on, you know, the, the DTL Connect Network. Um, systems to be able to even pay for a phone call. Maybe you don't have enough money to even put on their books where they can be able to purchase anything for themselves. Just don't get beat down yourself. Know that communication is everything and they will be so happy just to hear from you whenever they can. Um, and also, you know, utilize writing and um, something like, you know, this Green Star Family Initiative. They're really going to focus on keeping that communication open because, you know, uh, a lot of our loved ones, they go through things in there too, you know, and I mean, it's a jungle in there. And so I would just say, you know, just know that whatever you can do on the outside is enough. And then there was times where I'm like, I don't have enough money to even, you know, pay for a call for my pops. I don't have enough money to even give him, you know, I don't, I don't have it because my mom was struggling with three kids by herself. You know, none of us had our dads, you know, growing up. And so we, we ba barely made it and she barely had enough to even give us to talk to our, you know, to even just do other things outside of just survival, you know, having food and clothes in our bags. And so um, I just want you to know that you are still loved by your family that's incarcerated. Um, so just, just stay in communication as you can, you know, write, 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 write letters that's free. 
um, and, you know, get you some post-it stamps and, you know, and never be afraid to, you know, let them know what you're going through. You know, um, sometimes I thought I was a burden to my pops, letting him know what I was going through and know that they're so supportive of our journey and that they, they appreciate that, you know, um, appreciate the transparency and they appreciate knowing what's going on on the other side of the coin. They want to know what's going on with you. Um, so yeah, that'll be my advice. Thank you so much to Kobe for sharing her and Leon's story. The music you hear in this episode is Leon's track, Truth Never Dies. We'll have links to his websites, along with our previous coverage of his case, on our new website, kitelineradio.org. KiteLine is intended as a means of communication between people across prison walls. KiteLine, WFHB, or any affiliates airing this program are not responsible for the opinions expressed on the show. Please join us every Friday for more stories, news, and insights about the impact of prison on our community. Thank you for listening.